Hi. Okay. <laughs> so I literally used to be anxious 80, 90% of the time. I wasn't able to be in a romantic relationship, at least in person, for like more than five or six months. And I was kind of in this perpetual state of burnout until I found this somatic, these somatic tools. I started applying them to my own life. They were so life-changing that I got certified in it. And I'm kind of obsessed because now, you know, I'm probably still anxious 20, 30% of the time, but I I know what to do and my capacity to feel it and not get overwhelmed is just so different. Um, I'm in a 2.5 plus and counting amazing romantic relationship. I still sometimes go into burnout, but it's so much less like somatics fucking changed my life. <laughs> so I'm obsessed with it and I'm an evangelist. I even when I like before I was certified, I was like telling everyone to go do core energetics, which is the kind of somatics I'm certified in. And I want to get it into the hands of as many people as possible because it was so life-changing for me. So the program I studied in is a four-year program and still exists. There's one in New York. There's one that I get to teach in and help out at in Montreal, the Montreal Institute of Core Energetics. But for coaches, healers, therapists, folks who want to add some advanced somatic tools to your repertoire, but you don't necessarily want to do a a full year, a four-year program, I am introducing the Advanced Somatic Technique Certification. (laughs) Um, It's a six-month program where you'll learn these tools, you'll, you'll get them into your own cells, because the best way to learn these techniques is to get them into your own cells, but you'll also learn how to apply them for clients, they're super effective for anxiety. You can even work with trauma without talking about the trauma um, because it's stored in our cells and our nervous system. So you will get everything you need to start using them with your clients. So if you're interested in that, be sure to head over to brinbamber.com and you'll learn everything you need to know. Okay. Sending you all the best vibes, and let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Trauma-Informed Witch Podcast, where we'll talk about patriarchy, mental health, creating money and abundance, and how to live a life that feels rich and that is rich. Let's go. Okay. Hi, everybody. I am super excited to introduce my guest, Ishavella. We met um, at school. We did the same training program. And Isha, I'm going to let you expand on what you do now because I'm not 
100% up to date to what yeah, you're Yeah, no problem. Um, I, you know, I studied trauma psychology. Um, I went through the program as you did. So I'm a somatic practitioner as well. Um, I think of myself as a sovereignty coach, really supporting heart-led, you know, revolutionaries and creative disruptors build businesses that are sovereign and build relationships that are sovereign. Mm. Right? And that's through the integration of healing their intimacy wounds and really embodying their, their leadership. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And today, the topic we're going to focus on is white supremacy. And the perspective we're going to take, I think if you're interested in that topic, keep listening. But the perspective we're going to take on it is white supremacy in our businesses, in our practices. And so definitely listen if you're an entrepreneur, <laughs> definitely keep listening. And even if you're not, I think you'll, you'll be able to apply um, this to your life because business and life it, it, it all yeah weaves together and it's and it's like the 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 way we embody white supremacy in our businesses and in our lives like it isn't the way that people expect yeah so that's why we 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 want we want to get into the weeds a little bit about okay that. well save more i'm already curious i'm like what what do you have like yeah what are the ways that we embody it that's that are maybe unexpected yeah i mean i think that the the one the types of ways that that show up the most in the clients that i work with is in you know urgency mm. the urgency the feeling of like around productivity having to be productive you know um people have a hard time slowing down their like hustle culture is very much a part of like, you know, and I'm going to say toxic capitalism, right. But mm -hmm. white supremacy underwrites all the other systems, right. It underwrites patriarchy and, and colonialism um, and, and capital toxic capitalism. So, you know, when we talk about white supremacy culture, we're talking about all the other systems as well, you know? Um, so this mm -hmm. feeling of like having to produce, um, not feeling like the, the scarcity, like feeling like the not enough, like one is not enough. I have to do more, right? That kind of stuff that really ends up, you know, resulting in burnout. And then there's, you know, this, the, the stuff around perfectionism, right? Like how we show up in our businesses. And you know this well, like around, like we get into like this masky stuff. Like we, we think we need to do it a certain way. And we have sort of this idealized way of like, okay, this is what being a business person looks like, or this is what being a spiritual person looks mm. like. Like that is like rich with shame. That is all that has shame written all over it. And we don't really give ourselves the, the space to just be vulnerable. We don't give ourselves the space to have a bad day and like post about it online. You know, like we, we start to, we don't show our vulnerability you know, and we, we don't really show the congruency um, of our lives, like the realness of our lives and that we have shitty days and weeks even sometimes, you know, that's where I see it show up the most. Yeah. So, so let me see if I'm understanding. This is all like landing for me. It's just like, a, yeah, I, I, I'm loving it and I'm processing it. <laughs> um, so like, because 
the business people we've seen celebrated are often cis white men and because even in not obviously all spiritual cultures but many spiritual cultures in north america the images we're seeing are this particular often white image that that we feel like oh i have to do it that way i have to do it the way mark cuban does it i have to do it the way gary v does it as opposed to doing your business or or your life the way that you do it and the way that your your culture does it does that make sense and yes and i want to add to that like even you know there's this whole movement right now like pussy based business magic led business um feminine led business where it sounds like we're doing it a different way but we're actually replicating the same models mm. like we're still kind of doing the same things we're still like hustling behind the scenes and and maybe mm. making it look like we're not working as like we're we're not working as hard as we're actually working <laughs> we're actually right. we're making it look really pretty on the outside um you know, there's that piece. And then there's also the piece around like, you know, how there's also this model that I've just been sort of realizing for myself recently, like, I, you know, I'm a solopreneur, right? I've been doing this by myself for a little while, but, mm -hmm. but I'm, I also got to a place like this year where I'm just like, I don't want to do anything else alone. Like solopreneurship, mm -hmm. solopreneurship is kind of white supremacist. It's kind of like puts you at the top of this right. pyramid. And you're just like, oh, yes, I, I'm the one that gets all the money and I get to brag how much money I make. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with, with bragging how much money you make and using it in the way that feels good to you. But there's also this hoarding piece around it where it's like, you know, it's like one person and that one person gets all the credit. But I don't know. There's something about that that doesn't feel quite, um, doesn't quite feel right in my body, in my system. Yeah. I feel like, I love collaboration. Like I love being here with you. That's why I love doing podcasts, things like that, because I love the conversation. I love the exchange of ideas and I love launching something with someone and, and sharing, you know, um, yeah, it's just sharing our magic together. That feels like so good to me. And mm -hmm. I think that we're moving towards more of that too, of like, hey, it's kind of actually lonely up here. Like, why am I right. doing it by myself? Yeah. Right. And individualism versus collectivism, like that's a very white Western concept, right? The individual, the pull yourself up by your bootstraps, the the whole yeah. package of that is. Yeah. So that makes sense to me. And I, you know, I resonate with that because I'm a solopreneur too. And I, you know, even just today got a text from a friend who knows about my next project and encouraging me. And it, I, I teared up yeah. just having someone who kind of gets it say like, your topics are amazing and I wanna share them with this group or whatever. And just that, you know, I could just feel the, the different energy of me in my brain and, you know, yeah. Figuring everything out and then having that resonance of a peer, which is different. You know, obviously we're working with clients, right? And we get feedback from clients, but it but it's different when there's someone who feels like a peer. 
Yeah. And I, I feel so fortunate to be connected to so many people locally. Like I have so much support around me and, you know, that really, that really sort of keeps me in the game of being a solopreneur is feeling that support. Otherwise I'm just like, why, why am I doing this? This is lonely. Like, I don't like this. Yeah. I have a lot of people who, who are encouraging, who are really like, you know, who, who thrive when I thrive and vice versa, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's a, good relationship it's it's all about relationships and I think that Mm -hmm. there is a way in which you know when we're in that individualistic kind of mindset or mode or like embodiment that we see our customers sometimes as like oh here's a here's a 10k client right like here's a 10k we we see them as like we see dollar bills resource or something yeah right we see them as a dollar bill or, or as yeah. a dollar amount versus um you know really like this is about connection and intimacy this is about sharing energy right like i'm not just helping clients the clients you know they nourish me in some way like i get yeah. some that interaction as well totally mutually growth promoting you know, but I feel like we, we, we lose, we lose the intimacy aspect sometimes um, in, in the process of, of, you know, making money, right? We sort of put profits over people in a way. Yeah. 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 So can you break it down for me that how is hustle connected to white supremacy? Cause I have Celeste Headley's book, do nothing. And I've started reading it, but I'm not done. So I feel like you're a couple pages ahead of me, or maybe it's a, a different uh, <laughs> philosophy, but can you, can you kind of break it down how hustle is connected to white supremacy? Yeah. I, for me, you know, I have that book on my Amazon, like <laughs> reading list, but I haven't gotten to it yet. But what it is for me is this feeling of my worth is not tied into my beingness. It's tied into what I make and what I produce, right? So mm-hmm. me just as a human being, I'm not enough, right? I have to do something to say, hey, look, I'm worth something. Look, cause I made this thing or I do this thing. But right, so that's that's sort of where where toxic capitalism has dehumanized. Mm. It dehumanizes because you're not just valuable in who you are. You have to be doing something of value to have value, and that's where those those two pieces get get mixed together that don't need to be together. Yeah, yeah, no, and I and I had someone explain like. I was listening to a podcast where um, two coaches I follow, Simone Soul, who you we both yeah we both love, and Kara Lowenthal. We're having a conversation. You know her too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Isha was nodding when I when I said that. <laughs> I said her name. So um, Simone and Kara were talking about kind of this to- this toxic capitalism and productivity obsession. And one of the things they said that really kind of burst my mind open a little bit was that it's not even productivity, it's productivity every day. Because if you think, you know, you listener, think of your life, you've produced some stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no matter what age you are, you've, you have yeah. these accomplishments you, that you have created. Yeah. But there's, there's this 
energy of every day like yeah it's like next it's, monday next right. tuesday next it's not yeah. even like i wrote a book and now i can rest it's no. like you got to write another book and it has to have higher sales or like yeah. there is this it's kind of wheel. it's a hamster wheel. wheel yeah absolutely absolutely and and you know what like i've worked with clients who have had the express um goal of slowing down yeah like i want to do less and when they slow down they feel like shit yeah because all of the all of the unworthiness starts to wash up to the shore yeah and it's kind of like oh god i just i'm so fucking uncomfortable right now and it's yeah. it's uncomfortable right where you were you having that that's the uncoupling process right like in trauma we're uncoupling the ego identity with the from the productivity and that feels like shit yeah yeah, yeah i think they that's the part they don't tell us sometimes yeah. in the like <laughs> wellness space where they're just like slow down take a bubble bath <laughs> and then it's like and by the way you'll probably feel like shit for the first like yeah. three months minimum and maybe more <laughs> and even from a nervous system perspective like when i i you know in 2020 I made six figures. Okay. I made six figures and I was really proud of that because it's, you know, it was the most money that I'd made, but I was also burnt out. And that's why when I retired, I retired as a therapist at the end of 2020. And I said, I'm not doing this anymore. And I took 2021 to just rest. I took a whole year. I worked and I showed up online every day because I, that's, I liked that, right. It was a practice for me, but my, my system had to acclimate slowly, like almost like walking down a staircase slowly and had to down-regulate from the level at which I was showing up for my clients and for my work, also schooling from home, all of that. It was like, all right, let's just, let's just take this down five or six notches. And those six notches took a year. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's, that's exactly right. I'm, I am in a process of slowing down, still working, but just embracing yeah. the, the spaciousness that I do have in my practice right now. Yeah. And yeah, it is, you know, for me personally, I'm in this, like, I'm on this journey with my inner seven-year-old. Like when I was eight kind of I had a bunch of seven and eight I had a bunch of things happen in my life and my family moving countries and people passing away and you know just a lot of trauma I guess you could yeah. say yeah and and I hustled that was how I you know got to the new school and I hustled to make friends and I hustled to make good grades and to be kind you know to I don't know if I was kind to my younger siblings, but to like try to get them to do what my parents wanted them to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you have to take care of your your younger siblings. And so, you know, she's in my life still. And as I slow down, she's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> this is not safe. This is not right allowed like yeah. this is not okay yeah. and so i'm in this process of being with her and saying like 
because I didn't really get to have my feelings during that time, during the grief, during the transition of the move, all of it. Yeah. And so saying to her, you get to be mad, you get to be sad that I'm slowing down, you get to be scared, you get to be scared of all those things in the past, you get to be scared of yeah. what's happening now. You get to have those feelings and also you don't get to scream at me. You don't get to right. call me lazy or, you know, the things that she, the, it's this pattern that I developed to, to survive, right? Yeah. Of calling myself lazy. Yes. Like that was a survival. Tool. It was like the worst thing you could be, right? Is lazy. Yeah. 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 And it, and it served me then because I didn't have tools for grieving or tool, you know, yeah. I didn't have the other supports that probably would have helped. Yeah. And now it's like, okay, you know, you can be mad, you know, you can be mad at me. Yeah. You don't get to call me names and you can be mad for as long as you need to be mad that I'm making the <laughs> choices <laughs> that I'm making. Cause yeah. it is like wired deep yeah 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 absolutely absolutely and and this is this is related to what we're talking about but it just kind of jumped into my in my head in a particular way because you you asked about like how white supremacy shows up in some of our healing spaces yes yes um and so and we've been talking about systems right we've been talking about the internalization of systems um and what you know, something that I've experienced and that, you know, that I learned in my training, both, you know, in, in, in somatics and in psychology was like, there was such a focus on the individual, right? Like when we talk about trauma, we often talk about um, developmental trauma in our families, but we don't really acknowledge how, you know, how our patriarchy, yeah. How, yeah, how our personalities are shaped by growing up in certain systems. And that became clear to me, like after I graduated core and I was really like, really wanting to step into more of my leadership and just feeling so very deeply like colonialism in my body, like all of the stories, all of the bullshit stories my brain was telling me were related to colonialism. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, this is so deep in me. This feels so cellular. Like it feels, it is beyond my lifetime. And it feels like, right. wow, I need to like take every cell and like, like wash it clean of this. <laughs> That's what it felt like. It, they felt like heavy and, and just loaded with that, all those stories. And I think that we really underestimate, you know, when we think about, when we think about trauma, we often, don't think about like beyond our own families, but when you think about people who've experienced historical trauma, collective trauma, and how that then gets um, pushed through the next generation, yeah. right? Through epigenetics, right? Like talk about embodiment of white supremacy, like <laughs> that goes way back. Yeah. Right? yeah. So it really is very deep and to not underestimate how far into your system it reaches yeah right so this is like this is you know i offer that as like this is a lifetime unraveling process totally <laughs> you know like you're not like no urgency around like getting it all out of your system right right Take your time it's gonna be there 
<laughs> right, right. So, yeah, in five years, right. you'll probably, yeah, you'll be working on this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that kind of reminds me of my grandfather's grandmother's hands by Resma Mendelsohn. Oh, yeah. Um, where he talks a lot about, you know, the black experience versus the white experience versus the police. He brings like the police and talks about how all of our nervous systems are. Are like preloaded with this information. Yeah. 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 And how, you know, we believe sometimes that something is a threat when it's not yes from the conditioning from you know i think about like what i watched on tv in the 90s when i was a kid and my brain was like a total sponge and just how you know things like how people of color were portrayed on tv and and all of that Mm -hmm. just went into that little developing brain and not that yeah it excuses the internalized racism that i have or like i feel like it's my job to to work on all those yeah neural pathways but they're there yeah yeah and and when we when you know as as practitioners as healers when we when we you know if we're trauma healing for example if we keep things at the individual level we're really like it, we're really gaslighting our clients. Totally. We're totally. really acknowledging the microaggressions, the everyday, the, the white gaze that, that people experience on a daily basis. Those are like, you know, trauma in the form of mosquito bites. It's like constant and daily experience. And it, it also feeds into like, um, like, you know, what we learned as character structures, like personality, like, you know, the challenger or the rigid, right? Like it, it feeds into all of the ways that we hold our bodies in, in society, like in our lives, like it contributes to all of that, not just what we experienced from zero to six in our families of origin. Totally. Yeah. And I, I think sometimes just acknowledging that is the most healing thing for a client is saying there's nothing wrong with you and it makes sense that you're scared of this or you think this because of the system that existed when you were a kid and still exists and depending on you know where you live and you know yeah i mean i'll offer an example from my own life that seems like such a small detail but it, it shows you how powerful it is like, you know, my dad used to sort of tool around the house and fix things and, you know, make things. And we used to go to the hardware store. And this is before Home Depot came to the island. This is before, you know, these were when we, there were just like the mom and pop hardware stores. It's the 70s. And you're, <laughs> and, and you're talking about Puerto, Puerto Rico? Rico. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> so we would go to the, to the corner, mom and pop hardware store and we would buy the products and when we would get home Bryn inevitably they would not work why because Puerto Rico was getting the products like the leftovers from Mm. the United States and like default or the defective ones and that happened with not just hardware stuff like it happened with um 
certain foods that didn't make it in the market in the United States, they would then distribute it to the island. And so we got sort of like the products that didn't make it, right? The rejects. The bad tasting soup or whatever. Yeah, exactly. The soup that just didn't make it in the markets, right? The rejects. And so I, there was an awareness of that, even though I couldn't name it, but just Mm -hmm. watching my father and, and just understanding that there was like an 80% likelihood that whatever we brought from the hardware store would not work. To, like I ingested that as lesser than, like we are worth less, right? It just was such a, a, a no-brainer assumption for me. Yeah. And it, it was like that, that's sort of where that came from. It's just from this example of like interacting with, you know, capitalism and, 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 and just like as a consumer, that's what I took in. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. I, and that, I mean, it makes sense because somebody in the supply chain was saying this country is worth less. Yes. We will send them the less effective, less popular, less, right. Like that's like not, it's not like you were just taking that out of nowhere it's like someone else thought that first (laughs) exactly exactly and then they made a decision and then you felt their decision you felt the impact yeah that's why it's so it's so powerful those little details do matter right especially you know as you say these young parts of us like our young developing impressionable spongy brains they really take in so much like even you know i i didn't experience this but i i was at um a class at core around the embodiment of white supremacy and a lot of people there i didn't grow up in the united states so when i was shocked to hear people share that they didn't grow up around black kids or there was only one black Mm -hmm. kid at school right that was not my experience um but just and, and just the way um yeah, just some of the experiences people shared, I was, I was in shock. Um, yeah, it was, it was interesting just to, to hear those experiences and how, and I sort of put myself in their shoes, imagining what it would have, what messages I would have received about myself and my worth, having grown up in that environment, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, what that is bringing up for me is even how certain groups are stigmatized in the mental health field. Like when I was growing up, whenever there was a paranoid person in a movie, they were paranoid of surveillance. They Mm -hmm. were like, there's bugs in the wall or there's someone following me or, but you know, people of color and I think especially black people. And also I think right now, you know, um, Muslim people yeah. are surveilled. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> There's like, a healthy paranoia that is necessary. <laughs> yeah, I watched this film about uh, like a documentary about this Muslim community that the FBI was parked in a white van. Like people were paranoid yeah. because, and, and they were right. The yeah. white van that never moved, that was on their street corner, was the FBI because they went to a certain mosque and everything that had anything to do with Islam was 
at that time, you know, post 9-11, characterize as um, terrorists. Yeah. Even if it was like a spiritual center that, <laughs> yeah, you just went to the spiritual center of your, your culture and then you were on a list. Yeah. And, and I'll put the, I can't remember the name of the documentary right now, but I'll put it in the show notes and I can send it to you too, Isha. Yeah. Um, but it was, it's like, we all have paranoia, right? We get, people get scared that their kids are going to get hurt. People get scared that, you know, what, whatever it is, we all have this. Yeah. Uh, to a degree. And then obviously there's an, a degree where medication is involved, but it's just interesting how it's like this group, it, of course, they're going to be paranoid about surveillance. They're being surveilled. But then yeah. it's like, oh, you have a mental, like, why didn't we watch movies about paranoia, about paranoia that's more common in white people or other Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we create the problem and then we pathologize the symptoms. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so it's, it's, it's just this, it's just woven yeah. through the fabric of, you know, our professions and, and, and whatever, you know, uh, yeah. basically if you have a profession in, North America, your profession too. <laughs> yeah, and you know, even you, you know, you bringing up, um, you know, mental health and and how we diagnose. I, you know, I, I was sort of like indoctrinated into that into that yeah. way of thinking, and you know, and in in the process of me going through, the, like, thank goodness, I I trusted myself enough. At some point, I just. You know, I would, people would ask me like, oh, what, what diagnosis do I have? And I was like, I don't, I don't do diagnosis. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure that there is a good fucking reason for you feeling the way that you do. Right. Right. But we, we, we sort of put the label depression, depression equals bad depression equals we need to get rid of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So all of that. Right. But depression is like, we know, you know, as a, as a somatic practitioner, there's a reason why the body is heavy. There is a reason why you're being asked to slow the fuck down and pay attention to what's happening inside is because something, some energy is stuck and it needs to move, right? Like there is something happening. Let's get to the source of it, right? But we, we put a medication on it. We medicate it away. We want to just, we want to feel happy all the time. You know, we make it we just make these symptoms of like growing up in this really toxic culture. We make, we pathologize the symptoms when that's actually like a, a real response. It's a real human response to what we're with the soup we're growing up in. Right. Right. It's like, if you're not depressed by some of the things in the world that are happening and we all have you know we have ebbs and flows we're not always in it right we're not always feeling the weight of the world on us but in some ways it's like yeah yeah it's not like yeah there's something wrong with you it's like there is a lot of depressing shit happening right now like we need spaces to grieve we need spaces to grieve what is happening in the collective 
right? We yeah. need collective spaces to do that. So like, let's not medicate ourselves and, and isolate ourselves and get addicted to screens and whatever else distracts us from the pain. Let's bring it together. Like we can, yeah, we can do, there's other solutions that are not shaming, that are not pathologizing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm reading this book, Dark Nights of the Soul by Thomas More, mm. which is, you know, um, not about white supremacy at all, but <laughs> I'm going off topic a little bit, but I, I mean, it's related in the sense that he says in this book that if you think about every piece of art or every piece of music that you love, the person who created that went through a dark night or many dark nights. Yeah. And the singer that has a perfect voice and just hits the notes, but there's no feeling, there's no, you know, there's not that sound of, of oh, sorrow. Yeah. Or even the sound of joy after sorrow. Right. Like, we don't want that. We don't want a world where people. Is there an echo? No, not for you. No. Okay. Um, we don't want a world where the, yeah, people haven't been through hard times. We don't want to read books by someone, you know, who's never yeah. experienced that. That's not yeah. interesting. It's not interesting because we, we don't feel emotionally connected to it. We want to feel. We want to feel seen and understood and heard, right? And that's that's what that's the power of music. That's the power of art is that we can sort of see our own lives reflected in that. We, we, there's a mirroring effect happening there. Yeah. Yeah. And so instead of being in the dark or being in depression and saying, how can I get out of this as quickly as I can? How can I strive or struggle towards the light at the end of the tunnel can we rest and and allow the grief or allow the process or allow yeah. what needs to happen and not to say that you aren't looking for the light at all but there's such a difference from sprinting towards the light versus okay i want to walk towards the light but this is where i am i'm in the woods right now this is Bryn, this is like the perfect segue back to white supremacy because, yes. <laughs> because a lot of whiteness, and I talk about like whiteness as a culture, anybody can embody it. Not, you know, I embody white supremacy, like mm. that is in me. Mm -hmm. um, so it's any, anybody can have, right, can embody white supremacy. Mm -hmm. um, but just this like, a really big part of what maintains white supremacy is the, the moving away from discomfort, right? The, the comfort. Mm. And that includes like what you're sharing right now about like, we are pain averse because of the culture around like, you gotta feel good all the time, right? We don't like messy things, which is part of like this rigidity, you know, that is also, sort of white supremacy culture, we don't, we don't like to get in the weeds. We don't like to feel uncomfortable. 
um, yeah, we medicate things away. We, we eat our way, our, our pain, um, you know, we binge eat and do all sorts of things to, to get ourselves out of this experience, right? And, you know, in our businesses, a lot of times, like the, the, the aversion to discomfort, like, you know, sometimes clients bring some stuff to us about like, hey, you know, like what you said in, in our session or, right, there's some, something will come up and we won't, we might not give them the space because we want to seem professional and we don't want to be vulnerable or we don't want to admit that we made a mistake, right? But I think that, you know, we don't want to feel uncomfortable. We need to actually normalize that we're going to mess up and to really normalize the repair process and normalize like, yeah, this, this feels fucking uncomfortable and oh, right? Like, oh, I made a mistake, right? We feel shame, right? There's all of this stuff that happens that I, I really want, you know, the folks listening to, to really normalize like, we're going to mess up. Like let's normalize messing up. Let us, let's commit to repair versus trying to be perfect clinicians or healers and helpers. Like let's, let's be willing to be uncomfortable more, yeah. more than anything else. Yeah. 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 I think Brené Brown says something like we can't do any anti, uh, anti-racism work unless we talk about shame. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, Bryn, I'm, I, you know, I'm thinking about when was it? It was in, it was in November of 2019 where I, I co-led a weekend workshop at Kripalu with mm -hmm. one of my dear mentors, who is this powerful black black woman. She's a musician. She's a facilitator. She's like, she's amazing. And I had a power struggle with her. I had a power mm -hmm. struggle with her. That at the at the time I I felt like I was right or I mm -hmm. felt like I was doing what I needed to do, um, and then later I realized oh like that was that was really that was white that was whiteness mm -hmm. I was I was like the way that I interacted was from a place of whiteness and and entitlement and privilege. And it took me three months for that shame to, yeah. <laughs> to my system. Like it, it was a while, like I felt that. And then I was able to have a conversation with her and say like, yeah, that was, that was really shitty of me and yeah. to give her a real apology. Um, but yeah, like to the willingness to feel um, those places and, and to let them, to let the energy of the shame move through us so that we can actually release it. Yeah, because it's, and then, you know, as long as we're telling ourselves a story in our head, like that was wrong, that was so terrible of you. Oh my God, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're sort of maintaining the shame. But if yeah. we allow ourselves to be like, wow, I, I messed up. Yeah, like that was, that was pretty shitty. And, but we're not like, oh, I'm a bad person. We're like, right. no, I, I messed up and, and I'm human and people mess up and I'm yeah. learning wow, the shame doesn't even need to be there. It just kind of like, bloop, it just moves right on through, right? If yeah. there's a bit that's felt, it's kind of like, oh, a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't want to do that again, but you know, it, it, it may happen again. It's done, right? Yeah. But it took me three months because I was like, oh my God, and I was just like telling myself all these things about how 
ooh, like, I don't know what she thinks of me now, right? right. I went through all of those stories and it just took me three months to move something that, you know, I didn't even need to be holding. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's, you know, part of the process. I, you know, I have, I have similar stories from my history, you know, my history working in nonprofits and, and working with, um, indigenous and and other people of color working with different groups and and making mistakes and being called out yeah. at times and then having to do the repair and figure out what that look you know mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. that looks like with the person what that looks like with the the community we were working with and and yeah, I think it was probably more than three months for me. <laughs> <laughs> that one where yeah. yeah, yeah, I um, I'll own what I did because I realized I just kind of glossed over it, and um, I was moderating a panel, and I the panel had different lawyers, some lawyers who were white, and some lawyers who were not white. And I ended up giving the microphone to the white people, the white lawyers more often mm -hmm. and getting their opinions more often. And it was completely unconscious. And part of it was because of the area of law everyone had. And some people noticed and did not feel good about it. And I think they were right now. <laughs> I, I, you know, at the time I, I didn't like, I think as soon as I, well, I went into the shame spiral. So that's the thing about the shame spiral is you can't even see like now that, you know, this was years ago. Yeah. Now that I'm, I'm out of the shame spiral, I can kind of see clearly that, yeah, that this is what happened. But when you're in the shame spiral, you can't even see. You were just so I just was like, I'm awful and the end. I don't know what happened, but I know it's my fault. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's where the story ends. I'm awful. Yeah. yeah. And when you're in it, you know, it, it it's not if we think about trying to move white supremacy out of, you know the world when you're in the shame spiral you can't do that you're not very functional <laughs> yeah, yeah. and so not to not to shame you if you're in the shame spot you're listening right now and you're in the shame spiral because i don't know what i could have done differently at that time with yeah. the the with what i had i think i just needed to be in it for a long time <laughs> you know and it's like it's it's the shame spiral is sort of this this prolonged suffering that is is not necessary it is necessary from the perspective of i don't need to do that anymore right yeah. the experience of like i don't need to suffer at that level anymore i can be much more gentle with myself and forgiving and yeah. compassionate and just move through it a lot quicker bounce back much quicker and and actually be of service because when i'm in that shame spiral i'm not good for anybody and I'm certainly not good for the person that I harmed. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. They don't necessarily need that from us. Yeah, no, because the conversation you have with someone when you're in shame is not right. good for the other person. Like you said, you weighed it, which I think is the wise 
yeah. thing to do to not go and dump your shame on the person right. that you just hurt, yeah. you know, because what we can do is we can go and we can say we're repairing, but we can ask for the marginalized person to take care of us. Exactly. And that's where we get into like white fragility. Yeah. Right? We, when we feel the shame, then we collapse into that. We're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then we're doing the, the white tears thing. And then, yeah, then end up having the person we harm take care of our feelings so that we feel better so that we don't feel like a bad person. We can feel good again. We don't have to feel the shame. Right. And, but we've also not done any repair work. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, it makes me angry and I'm sure we've, I'm sure I've even done that. I don't have a specific example popping <laughs> to my mind, but you know, I, you know, we're human. So we're gonna, yeah, we're gonna do these things. And, and we're, we're doing these things because we learn from, you know, from people calling us out on our patterns. Like we are, we, we exist in patterns and we are disrupting those patterns, right? As healers, part of our mission is to help other people disrupt their patterns. And so we have to like, we have to be accountable to that work as well as like, yeah, I'm, I'm asking other people to shift their patterns. I got to shift my patterns as well. You know? Yeah. 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 It, go ahead. Yeah. So we're, we're just coming to the end. So I just want to see if there's anything we missed or kind of final, final thoughts before yeah. our I did want yeah. to share one more thing um, that that we were sort of about to get into or could get into, yeah. and I'll be brief about it. Um, you know, I, I just said something about like working on our patterns. Um, and one thing that that I don't want people to get caught up in is this idea of self-improvement, Right, because I think that in in healing spaces, we we often, you know, we come to people because we're like, we need to fix our, ourselves, we need to improve, and and yeah, you know, like evolution is important, <laughs> personal evolution and collective evolution is important, but I think that meeting ourselves right where we are is is the key, right? To to like, in order for us to be able to come into repair work with that self-ownership and self-responsibility, we need to just be really gentle with ourselves and not, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a not enoughness, a scarcity that is also tied into, I need to, I need to improve, I need to do better and I need to go to yeah. this workshop and I need to, you know, take these courses because I need to, I need to like get better, right? There's this like energy behind it that is right. helpful and that it comes from, a place of, of not enoughness that, yeah. that touched on at the beginning of the podcast that I just felt like I needed to name. Yeah, no, I think you're right. It, it kind of ties back to what you said earlier, where it's like, it's going to be around in 10 years. Yeah. So <laughs> no matter how hard you work this year, yeah. <laughs> still going to be here. And so, yeah, we can't exercise it. We can't exactly, exactly. Just you know yeah yeah people figure wanna, out yeah people often want to like oh i want to release this well it's it's a dismantling but the dismantling is like one lego brick at a time yeah you know yeah and and you know when you think about we all 
you know, at least in North America, we all grew up with this being downloaded into our brains and it's still downloading into little babies' brains right now, you know, just in all these subtle, imperceptible even ways yeah, at times. It's the, water. it's the water, the air we breathe. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, of course, it's still going to be there in 10 years. It's, you know, like we, we, the things that we learned at those young ages, yeah. they don't, they don't just magic. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't have the quick, easy fix for yeah. this for sure. Yeah. And, and I think it's even, you know, I'll out myself again. <laughs> which is I think at a certain point I thought like I've done all this work and I am I am fixed or I am way better I don't think I would say I was fixed but I kind of felt like yeah yeah I I did it and I went through the shame and I and now I get it yeah and it's like no <laughs> I have those moments too, where that my ego is like, I get it. And then, you know, I'll have another experience. Where it's exactly. Like, I don't know anything. I don't know anything. I'm yeah. learning. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for the piece of humble pie. I've just been served. I'm going to eat, sit here and eat it. Yeah. <laughs> so even there's a, there's a dangerousness and even trying to do that, I think. Or, yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is amazing. I think people got so much out of this and for people who loved your vibe or your mind or your heart or all of the above where can people find you work with you all yeah the um, my website is www.ishavela.com i-s-h-a-v-e-l-a -E um, you can follow me on instagram isha underscore vela and um, yeah, I have small events coming up. I do stuff around polyamory. Um, so there's stuff, if you're an entrepreneur or if you are a lover, there is something for you. <laughs> and I want to apologize. I think I've been pronouncing your name wrong the whole episode. Oh, I'm, it's not. Isha. A, okay. Yeah. yeah. I have I have a client that I've been seeing for I don't know four years who calls who calls me Isha, and I I don't care. <laughs> okay, okay, good. Well, I'm I'm gonna um, try to remember for next time. But yeah, thank you so much for everything that you brought. I think this was really rich and not non-linear, but but those are the. Those yeah. are the conversations I love where it's like neither of us had a script. Yeah. And so we went some cool places that we I didn't even know would weave. Yes. Together, I but they roads. Yeah. 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 So thank you, thank so, you much. so much. Yeah. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye. Okay. Did you love that episode? Did you love everything we talked about? If you did and you want to learn advanced somatic techniques to use with your clients that come from an intersectional feminist lens, this is at least the only somatic certification that I know of that 
specifically has a component of diversity, equity, inclusion-informed somatics, um, trauma-informed somatics. So you're using these tools in the most helpful way possible for all of your clients. The advanced somatic certification is for you. It's six months. It's specifically for coaches, therapists, healers, EFT, whatever you do. <laughs> um, if you want to add these advanced somatic tools to your toolkit, you have to check it out. You can learn more at brinbamber.com. Somatics is the most life-changing thing I have ever done um, applying these tools to my life. So I am obsessed. I want to get them into your hands. I want to get them to your clients because people need the shit. People need to heal. And these are some pretty deep, profound tools. So brinbamber.com to learn more. Okay. Talk to you next time. Bye.